and welcome back to the Problem with Authority podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Kelly, and today I have a special guest that is going to help us dive into the topic of critical race theory and how it's been um, illegal, banned illegal in the state of Florida. So welcome, Maya. Hi, everybody. My name is Maya. How's everybody doing? (laughs) So Maya and I know each other from high school. school. Yeah. 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 And we've kind of just, I think, stayed connected like through social media. And tell us a little bit about you, Maya, and why this topic is so important to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a senior at the University of Central Florida. I am an elementary education major, and I am absolutely obsessed with the field of education. I think I really genuinely found like my niche. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've always felt very much so like an advocate for children and for the social movements that relate to children. And so when I saw on the news that Ron DeSantis and the Florida State Board of Education decided Mm -hmm. that critical race theory was something that was not allowed to be taught in the classrooms. I had to like take a step back and go, hold on, what's going on here? Because that's absolutely insane to me, considering most people don't even know what critical race theory is, considering critical race theory isn't even originated in education. So it was just, it was a whole lot of emotions that I felt um, when I saw that in the news and I just really, really wanted to sit down and discuss it with somebody. (laughs) Yes, and what better way than to do it on the Problem with Authority podcast? Absolutely. Uh, So yeah, so I I have a little bit of a background on what critical race theory is in front of me. So I'm going to read it just for people that don't know really quick. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so critical race theory um, is a collection of theoretical frameworks which provide lenses through which to examine structural and institutional racism. So it was originally developed in like the 1960s to 70s yes. by legal scholars applying um, sociological critical theory in their work. And it really just, um, it, it looks at why like racial disparities disparities exist and persist through analyzing like the legal and criminal justice system as well as education and employment opportunities and like not like reading reading over it and like what it includes it's really like social work like what we do in social work like you you understand that race is um, a social construct rather than biological related uh, you talk about sis- uh, systemic racism which means social institutions and practices um, contribute to and maintain white supremacy, and then how everyone has multiple overlapping aspects of their identity. And then lastly, how critical race theory encourages reflection on normalized ways of doing things, especially to question who benefits from systemic privilege and why. Like, that's so, ba- like, that's basic. I, I didn't, I, I, like, I was very confused at the outrage because, come on. Bru- Right. And that's that's the crazy part, because like as a society, I think that we've always been taught that racism is something that is an individual act or a behavior of a person. Mm -hmm. But when we actually examine like what's going on in society and why this continues to persist, we have to move beyond thinking of racism as individual acts and behaviors and actions and really examine and critique that racism as like compounded systems that are embedded into democracy, that is embedded into healthcare, that is embedded into capitalism, it's embedded into our economic structure. I mean, it absolutely persists in all the systems we have. And it makes sense when you look at racism through a critical lens, like critical race theory, because it explains why it's there, why it continues to be there, and who upholds it. Exactly. Exactly. It Exactly. And that's, that should be in the basis of our education. And we're in Florida, everyone. Right? <laughs> a really bad state when it comes to our education system. Absolutely horrendous. It's terrible. Like, oh my God. Like, just being in social work and kids, like, coming into sessions and just talking about what goes on in their day-to-day life at school. Like, not even in the academic realm, just in the social realm. It's just, it, it's so terrible. I think I think one of the craziest things that I like 
emotional aspect to seeing this on the news is mm -hmm. I was like, first of all, why? Because it isn't like the critical race theory it's not a curriculum so it's not something that was handed to teachers that were that we were told like hey teach this in the school system right like social studies has always been on the background to language arts and math i mean if you look at the history of education especially when you look at it through like the um like the legal side like the federal and um this the local like state boards and things like that mm -hmm. we've always cared about language arts and math like that's what's on the standardized test that's what they want us to know and to teach the students so that they're ready quote unquote for adulthood in america social right. studies has never been on the forefront of that so i always when i saw this i was like this is a smokescreen because like we're not even being properly educated on how to teach our history to the students and all of a sudden we found a system critical race theory a theory that we can adopt from the legal justice system into education and you're shooting it down automatically without even explaining to parents or the community on what it is right exactly exactly you make such a good point about how like social studies and history is not it, it it's not as important to the system as math math and science and reading so it's like you guys are so upset about nothing, nothing. literally like a nothing. small part of our a small part of our education but i think it could i think it could have a great impact incorporating this um into into the curriculum just because i remember in high school like i hated history because i hated how it was taught i was just learning about old white men and like there was I didn't feel like there was any truth to what they were saying and there wasn't because they glazed over a lot of the things that actually went on back then and then how um, racism is still alive today and how you know when slavery was abolished like it really wasn't it's not like everybody was happy about that you know like those are the things that kids need to be taught about it it's, doesn't need to be some secret um and then moving into like the systemic and how your different identities overlap. Like that could be so impactful for big kids. Cause that's why a lot of people come into therapy because right. their identities are not, are not um, celebrated and validated. And there's so many different aspects of like how race and sexuality and class, how all of that overlap and gender, and then how it can get really confusing because you're having to fight against stereotypes. You're having to, become who you truly are while fighting these horrible horrible systems. systems yes oh my god you bring up so many great points the first one i want to touch on is like whitewashing our history mm -hmm. and this is something that is really divisive when we talk about critical race theory especially from what we saw from what Ron DeSantis said, for those who don't know, Ron DeSantis is the Florida governor. Mm -hmm. um, he was arguing that teaching critical race theory in our classrooms would be divisive because it would it would put white children in a place of fear and like shame and guilt mm -hmm. for our history. And that it's unpatriotic and that we're teaching narratives and not facts. But history is a narrative and you can't deny that because history is a story it's whoever's in power it's always been white people get right. to decide what the narrative of history is yeah. and so when we look at our textbooks and we see oh we have for for black children we have this uh, slavery and we have the civil rights movement and then nothing else there's no other part of history that you are included in so sorry have a nice day like right. completely whitewashed and we don't have to think of it as putting white children down and black children up. We can't think of it that way because no. that's completely decisive and that doesn't progress us beyond what we're at right now versus if we taught children how to look at racism critically and understand why it's happening, where it comes from, and how, why it continues to happen, we can actually build a plan of action to progress our society beyond what we are at right now. And mm -hmm. the way you do that is through the education system. You do it with the future generations. Yes, because they're there nine hours a day. Like nine hours a, a day. It's, the teachers spend more time with kids a lot of the time than their parents do. 
yes, it's such an influential part on their lives. And the fact that we have a bunch of old white men running our board of education <laughs> and they get to decide what we as teachers, the experts, the ones that go to college for years upon years and get certificates and take tons of exams and tests, they get to decide what we teach in the classroom and they get to decide what's best for our students while never ever stepping foot in there and seeing what's actually going on, what our students actually need Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then uh, on top of that I feel like having these discussions like my biggest thing is especially like in the social work profession you know we have like you know social just diversity and social justice and different things like that but I think what a lot of people fail to understand is because of the world that we live in and how honestly fucked up it is you have to go through a lot of unlearning and and emotional and spiritual like you really need to look at yourself and you have to do a lot of a lot of work a lot of inner work to work on your biases and the the racist stuff you were taught or like the internalized anything any part of like um homophobia um race all of that like all of it all of it and it's such a journey and I and I feel a lot of the time that in social work like I don't think social workers should be social workers because they just start like nobody up until college there was nobody saying hey you need to do this inner work and I think that incorporating this with kids like starting this conversation young would be so amazing. beneficial. Have, yes, it would have such a good impact on our society because I kids all the time. Like the other day, I, I was having lunch with my friend yesterday, and she's in education, and they're doing like summer camps and stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And so many kids got kicked out because of the racist shit that oh they were God. saying. And it's crazy. I'm like, why is that coming out of a nine year old's mouth? Obviously, because from their parents. Right. Uh, right. So, but if we were having these conversations young and early, it, it, it could just, oh, it could just change like so many things. It wouldn't have to come from a place of ignorance for children. Right. It would come from a place of understanding. Exactly. And, and I think that we, we, there's this whole like dichotomy of like, well, if black children are young enough to experience racism, then white children are young enough to understand racism and how they uphold it. And it's crazy because like there's so much guilt and like shame around the topic of racism. I mean, it's so taboo. Mm -hmm. We're just now experiencing as a society being able to say that word and have conversations about that word without being like shunned or you know, avoided or negated. Right. But it's still such a struggle because we'll have these productive conversations and automatically these fears of white guilt and white shame will come up. And it's like, (laughs) that's not productive to the conversation. You need to put your emotions on the background and Mm -hmm. actually start doing some of this work. And you're right. As teachers, we have to unpack all of our internalized misogyny, all of our internalized biases. I mean, they teach us this in our like entry level college classes about intro to diversity and how we need to unpack the way we think boys, girls, right. um, non-binary students, gender, right. disabilities, all of these things, the way that we teach and approach these students has mm-hmm. to come from a place of empathy and understanding and non-biased. Exactly. And how do you do that without critically examining <laughs> racism or gender or stereotypes? Like it makes no it makes no sense to me, Kirsten. It doesn't. And I, oh my God, it doesn't. And and even like, I feel like there, I feel like critical race theory is is just not, not even like enough for what needs to be incorporated. In it's education. not. Like, like having classes around like, you know, like sex education in, it's so terrible. And like sexuality and being inclusive of all genders and all sexualities and having teaching kids like how to love themselves and you know like it's it all overlaps and it all it all intersects and Kirsten (laughs) are you telling me that you are an intersectional solidaritist (laughs) (laughs) because me too girl me too like and that's that's a big like that's a very like macro level way of looking at everything um because like yeah we can focus on like racism we can focus on we can focus on um like queer disabilities like all of this all of these things but when you look at it on a macro level you can see that they connect 
yes. and you can see how they overlap. And that's why it's so important that we protect and we advocate and we uphold any type of progress that can elevate us as a society. Because like, for just for example, like financial freedom for minority uh, families in the United States would help the healthcare system that they mm -hmm. live in would help their education that they're in. You know what I mean? Like it right. would help break down any stereotypes. And that's just a connection between how you live in society and the economic structure that you're have, you're subjugated to. I mean, mm -hmm. you have no choice. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. It, yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. And I'm literally looking at, um, so like the website that I'm pulling from for anybody like interested in learning more about this, it's called, I've never heard of this uh, journal, I guess, or I don't even know. It's called theconversation.com. And then it's like the Senate has, has voted to reject critical race theory from the national curriculum. What is it and why does it matter? And on one of the little um, pictures, it has yeah. a tweet and it has a little white child holding a sign saying, I am not an oppressor. And it's oh like, honey. <laughs> nobody said you were babe yeah. you're eight years old right like we're just trying to teach you about white supremacy and how you as a white person should not be upholding that it should not be perpetuating that like that's literally it god and Ugh. it's so it's so ironic because it's all under this guise of like patriotism like we need to be patriotic and we need to love america and right. uphold it but like, you cannot love something if you do not know it <laughs> right Man. exactly or you're critical of it like that's what is so important like with the communication and the conversations like um for example i think in it I, like because my background's in therapy like i have watched people have really hard discussions about things that they were either against or didn't fully understand so like right. for example like I was in my groups class and we all got to pick a topic on what um what clinical group we wanted to run like there's a lot of role playing in social work right. so a lot of the times we're playing roles and a student um who was trans wanted to do a a trans support group but what that entailed was would be group members who are not trans pretending to be trans. Mm. And, I, and I ended up being put in that group and I like texted them. I said, Hey, I get what you're trying to do. I think this conversation is important. And I was like, but I don't feel comfortable. Like, like, isn't like, there's a whole issue about cis people playing trans roles. Right. In society. I was like, and I don't, I was like, I don't feel like we should, even though I know this is on a small scale, like, even though I know this isn't social work and everybody is supposed to understand that, but not everybody does. So I was like, can we try it a different way? And they reached back out and they were like, Kirsten, I'm so happy you said that because I was feeling uncomfortable, even though people were telling me that it was okay. So right. Ended up changing it to a, a parent support group of um, youth or of their children that have come out as trans, which could happen, like that could happen to any of us. Like if any of us, kids. yeah. Right. All any of our kids could be trans. And it, it was just so refreshing to watch this conversation unfold with people being vulnerable in what they didn't understand about the trans identity and their mm -hmm. fears. And like on the internet, a lot of these things like would have been deemed as like transphobic, but right. everybody starts somewhere in their journey of understanding. And it was it was just so beautiful to watch. And like my point is, if we can get in these small groups and start having discussions and conversations about things that like you you may not fully understand or that like they may make you angry and it's like well why does that make you angry like what right. is it about like and really just unpacking that that can just do wonders wonders for for who they for themselves who they interact with outside of that group and then just the overall culture of like kids growing up in the education system but then also like once they're released into the world like you know right and and what a lovely lovely like um anecdote that you just brought up about how you're in this small group you're exploring a conversation that may be quote-unquote difficult for some people to have just right. because maybe they've never been exposed to it or have these internalized thoughts about what it should and shouldn't be mm -hmm. and 
some the way it went was awesome and then you critically looked at it and thought hey maybe we should be doing this a different way because i understand all of these things beyond this even though it's well intentioned right. and then you transformed it into a productive conversation and you progressed beyond exactly it's, it's such it's a framework like critical race theory the the structure of it and the framework of it it's been transformed to explain how we have racist and prejudiced biases towards Native Americans, how we have mm -hmm. racist and prejudiced biases towards Asian Americans. It's not just a thing for Black people. Yes, it was right. compounded for, it was originated by Black people, it was created to explain the struggle of Black Americans. But at the end of the day, it is a framework that can be transformed into things. And it is beautiful the way it works because it's so human. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's so human. It's looking at a problem, examining why it's there, how it happens, why it continues to happen, and making a plan to progress beyond it. Yes, a plan of action. Because that they're going to be, like, every generation is going to grow up and then have uh, be able to make decisions about the society that they live in. And it's like, why not start them? Start that young. Isn't the goal of education to prepare our students to live uh, in the society that we want them to live in? And honestly. it's just, it's beyond me that we don't want to teach students how to think critically. Like, right. it's not enough for an eighth grader to know that a bunch of Black people came from Africa on a ship in 1619, and then they were used in slavery, and then we had the civil rights movement, and then Black people just fell off the earth of history in, in the United States. Like, that's not right. enough. No. It's not enough. It doesn't do anything. It does it especially harmful for our Black students because mm -hmm. it gives them such a one-sided deficit way of looking at themselves, their people, and their culture. And that is such a disservice that we're doing for our Black students. Mm -hmm. And it's also such a disservice that we're doing for our non-Black students because we're not teaching them such an integral part about American history. American history is Black. Right. Every cornerstone of American history is black. When you look at how things were created in the United States, you will always find black labor, black exploitation and black mm -hmm. culture. It's right. why would we not want to celebrate that, acknowledge it, teach it, explain it and progress? <laughs> oh, exactly. Oh, exactly. And then and then that in, in turn helps kids with their identities like. It, oh, oh my god like just validating them and it, celebrating celebrating everybody and just having everybody be able to dive in a deeper understanding of who they are and where they come from and how how they look how it can affect like how they're treated but also like how we can all be allies to one another like it, it can right. just be such a beautiful beautiful thing so I do have a question for you so since you yeah. are in Florida and this is apparently, like, this is another thing I didn't understand. Because illegal, to me, yes. means that if a parent finds out that you're doing this, they yes. can report you and then you can get arrested? Um, so he hasn't really outlined, like, what the consequences are. Okay. I'm assuming that it's going to be something like if a parent finds out that you're teaching race critically, which lord knows i still will be doing right um, <laughs> um i'm sure that it would have some sort of consequences with like your uh, your local school possibly the local district it may lead to maybe your license being revoked i'm not Jeez. exactly sure it's i feel like this is going to be something hard to um what is it mandate or regulate and right the, first and foremost reason is because it's not critical race theory is not outlined in our curriculum so exactly. we're not even really teaching it it's based on an individual basis so like I follow a bunch of educators on Instagram mm -hmm. some educators are anti-racist educators so they exactly. center their values on anti-racist values and they teach their classroom through that some of them are critical race theory educators and so they'll teach through that but it that is an individual choice on the educator and not something that is being pushed down by an agenda from like the superintendent that's not how it works mm -hmm. that's how a lot of people think it works but it isn't unless right. it's specifically outlined in like the state standards for that specific state you can kind of be a little more flexible. So I have no idea how they're going to regulate that because it's not like it's already outlined in the curriculum. If you watch the board meeting on it, 
all the superintendents in Florida were like, we don't even have critical race theory in our <laughs> curriculum. Like what you're banning nothing. You're, you're banning the potential for it to be in there is what you're doing. Right. Right. Because white people got bad. Right. Cause, right. Cause God forbid, like we just, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. Or that's scary, honestly. Like- oh, it's it's frightening, Kirsten. God. It's absolutely frightening. Because if you look at like the history of education, mm-hmm. the president is responsible, like who's ever president is responsible for how like education should look. And that's mm-hmm. why it kind of changes every like eight years. Um, and then, of course, we had like George Bush, who had all of these like no child left behind. And then we had Obama that transformed that to the every student succeeds act. And like, right. who knows? Trump didn't really do much. Right. We didn't like transform it. I mean, obviously, he put a lot of like regulations and things like that. But we're not sure what we're going to see out of Biden for how our education system is going to look. Um, I know he was talking about probably giving like two years free of public uh, community college. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought that was like he was going to extend high school two more years. Like, no, please read beyond the headline, ma'am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it's so true. <laughs> but. What I'm trying to get at is that the way our education system is set up is that whoever is in power, old white people, Mm -hmm. decide what should be taught. And the classroom is a reflection of society. So if we have white supremacists deciding what we should teach and those what we're teaching is reflecting the values of white supremacy, we're going to see that in the classrooms. We're going to see that being reflected out of our children. And it's mm-hmm. just honestly frightening because yeah. it could it could all be so much simpler. It I, really could. Yeah, I definitely agree. I just read like a feminist book and they were talking about how like is college um, a microcosm of like the real world. And I think that that should be analyzed through education, like when kid like middle school, high school, like how the things that go on in the classroom reflect also what's going on in bigger society. But how those small changes can be made to then, you know, bleed into making change and be like just raising little advocates and little yes. um little shakers and you little, know like, little conversation starters. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like that's what it that's what it's all about. And I think and I'm so happy that we have our generation of social workers and educators who are not just, we're not just social workers and educators, we're advocates, we're yes. in the streets, we're, we're focusing on our, our micro, macro, and meso policy and understanding how, you know, people are, are person and environment, everything, everything overlaps and intersects. And I think that's, that's exciting. And I love how you were like, yeah, I'm teaching it anyway, because from my perspective, like reading these four little like one, two, three, four, what critical race theory includes, that's literally Mm -hmm. what is taught in our social justice and diversity class at the college work in college. So it's like, what is like, that's like, that's, that's nothing. Like, how is somebody going to track that you're teaching from that framework or perspective right because it's not a training manual it's not a curriculum it's not like a how-to it's literally just a framework on how to think about something in a critical way we do it with everything I mean critical thinking is a cornerstone of the state standards it's the Mm -hmm. highest level of thinking we want students to move beyond just reciting and remembering we want them to evaluate We Mm -hmm. want them to analyze and we want them to create beyond that information. You cannot do those things without thinking of something critically. So when we look at racism right now in the United States and how it is such a systemic and structural problem, Mm -hmm. people were moving past the, oh, my God, everything is racist. And, oh, my God, all of these things are happening to now we need to do something about it. Like we can't just keep being surprised about it anymore okay Mm -hmm. honey we need to put on our boots and unpack strap up and start actually doing some work because how are we going to move beyond this conversation it's 2021 civil rights movement happened in 1960 we're seeing the the biggest civil rights movement happening now Mm -hmm. what freaking 60 years later what's going to happen in the next 60 years are we still going to be doing the same bullshit oh (laughs) yes i know Uh... God, I hope not. 
and it's just it genuinely is just because we have these people of power Mm -hmm. and they keep pushing and perpetuating the systems that keep them in power Mm -hmm. like when we look at how racism affects our students in the classroom i'm sure you know this from um from your therapy sessions and Mm -hmm. discussing and engaging with with students but like little like black girls not being able to wear their hair how they naturally wear and how their Mm -hmm. culture deems is significant for them Mm -hmm. because to the education system it's quote-unquote inappropriate like that's racist yeah you you cannot be doing that to our students because now you're hurting their self-esteem which we know uh, when you look at studies affects how they learn and how they retain information Mm -hmm. like you can't be doing that we yeah. have deficit-oriented instruction where we're teaching only um, Black students about slavery and the civil rights movement. We're not celebrating any of Black magic or excellence. Like, we're not celebrating uh, Black innovation and Black right. math. Right. And none of that. Like, it's all deficit orientation. Mm-hmm. The way we assess our students and the whole standardized testing system. Uh-huh. Like, I could do a whole episode <laughs> on just standardized testing, Kirsten. Like, it is so fundamentally just racially racist like it's horrible right the way the way we fund our school systems like it's no wonder that when we look at how our black white uh asian american latino like all of our students how we look at their like success all Mm -hmm. based off the standardized testing the students that come from wealthier white privileged neighborhoods where their schools are adequately funded do better right but it's not because they're white. It's because they've been given that white privilege. Right. If we afforded that same care, money, and funding to uh, schools that come from uh, schools in lower social economic status neighborhoods, mm-hmm. we would see the same progress because the students are not different biologically. It's yes. just it's just the material conditions that they're being subjugated to. Yep. And that's racist because yep. it's being uphold, upheld by systemic racism. It's like, how do you not see that, people? Uh, oh, my God. Yes, literally. OK, I'm like deciding right now, like if we, we should just do a whole nother episode on that as well, because I I uh, in in my uh, job, I go because I'm in Tallahassee. And for a lot yeah. of you that don't know, like a lot of counties, you know, in Tallahassee or outside like our rural there is a lot of segregation here too still like that's a whole thing oh that's a whole thing (laughs) but so one of the uh schools that I would go and I would run a group in would be in Monticello and it was called uh Jefferson Somerset and my boss was like hey can you do a report on you know your experience providing services in a rural county and you know there were a lot of barriers like COVID was one like it was you know difficult you know for parent engagement you know, student engagement, there was a lot of things, right? So it, yeah, I, I could make a report on it. But my boss's perspective was, hey, like, this is the first uh, county in Florida that has been taken over by the state and turned mm-hmm. into a charter school. And Ooh. she kept saying it's because the school kept failing. It's the school's fault. It's the community's fault. And I right. said, interesting. So I started doing my research yes, on, ma'am. on the school and like what happened and it literally what you are saying, they, they literally set them up to fail. They didn't provide the adequate resources. It is a predominantly black community. Um, the, on the school board, there was more white people than black representatives. The white people didn't, uh, didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were negligent, you know, all of the, all of the above. And Mm -hmm. then, um, I think this was, I don't think this was DeSantis. This was Rick Scott when when Rick Scott was governor. I just almost threw up in my mouth. (laughs) I know. So he swooped in playing like the white savior and was like, Mm -hmm. I'm speaking for the voiceless. We're taking over this whole county and we're going to make it our, the first all charter uh, school district, which is extremely dangerous for anybody. Like that the state is now just 
going in and privatize like like privatizing like our education system number one and then completely overruling the officials that were elected in that community on the school by the board. community and, mm-hmm. and by the community and it's it was such an like this this journal uh this journalist i do not remember their name but they did such a good job capturing all sides of the situation and so i started by writing my little report and i'm mm-hmm. like i hope my boss doesn't think that i'm gonna be on the <laughs> side of the state because i'm not <laughs> Like, this is a whole thing. This is a whole thing. It's just the racism and um, everything. It's, it's such an interest. I mean, it's a terrifying story, but just interesting that I didn't even realize that that was where I was going every day. I didn't realize that, that that's what everybody was going through. Uh, right. And it, 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 it starts with that. Like, and now that, like, you're, like, you're saying, like, just on a, on a, like, so, for example, like, in Florida, like, we have Osceola, Seminole, like, all the different counties. And mm-hmm. then you're having kids like what you're saying in wealthier school district or in um, more economically privileged, you know, wealthier school districts getting more resources, like benefiting from that privilege. And then like the kids that don't, oh, you're dumb. You're not smart enough. Like, no, like right. you're literally failing to to make sure that they succeed. Like you, they, that's you. That's on the that's on the state at that little local level and then now like our governors are coming in and like saying the same thing oh it's terrifying I'm I'm such a big proponent of this belief that children do not choose to fail right um I just being in the classroom and working with thousands of children I mean I I've done I've done so, uh, service learning in multiple counties in Osceola. Mm-hmm. I've done it in Seminole County. I've done it in Orange County. I did my internship in a low social economic status school. It was a mm-hmm. Title I school, which means it's uh, funded by the state. Mm-hmm. And it is also a state-supported school. So it's similar to what you're talking about, where the state kind of runs right. what happens there because the school was deemed as a failure because it received an F score on a – Right. It's like a letter grading score, which, by the way, that grading score, like how we rate how well schools do, the George Bush administration decided that. So, like, let's <laughs> also understand that how we examine the success and failures of school is a system that mm-hmm. was built by a white man. Right. And I'm not I don't say that to sound anti-white. I'd say that to sound critical because we want to know how things are built and how they're established to understand their impact. Right. Just so everybody's clear. And so- <laughs> well, yeah, but like if you are white, like it's very clear at this point you have a lot of privilege and bias and yes. lack of understanding because society perpetuates white supremacy. And like, for example, like critical race theory not being allowed to be taught, white children are still running around believing you know, the, the things that they're believing, especially if their parents are perpetuating that. But even, yeah, so that that just comes with it. it. It shouldn't be a surprise. You know what I mean? Like every every white person should be like, hey, I got to do this work. Right. There's a lot of shit that went down that was not OK. And I you know what I mean? So just to defend Maya. For a second. <laughs> and and so at this school that I worked my first internship at, it was this title one school in a lower social economic status neighborhood. It's a neighborhood school. So most of the children lived in like the project housing and they would walk into the school and it's a safe haven for these children. Mm-hmm. It is a place that the community upholds and protects. There is no graffiti or uh, robbery there is no nothing like this school is a safe haven I've talked Mm -hmm. to the principal about it and that's how he runs the school and he makes sure that he is a active and supportive member in the community because he wants the community to know that he cares about their children and he cares about their livelihood and their education and I say all of this because when COVID happened the entire state went basically remote The issue was, is that the majority of our students did not have laptops, did not have access to Mm Wi-Fi, did not have access to those material conditions that a lot of people, I mean, even me included, we take for granted, Mm -hmm. like, and we don't even recognize that a lot of these students would have to uh, rely on going to the library to get Wi-Fi access or have to rely on going 
I mean, the school, if you look at it on a map, it's a food desert. There's mm-hmm. no uh, access to like fast food. The nearest grocery store is like miles away. All you have around there are liquor stores. And this is, this is designed. Like yes. this isn't just because it's a lower, it's, it's a black neighborhood. No, this was designed by whoever, um, designed the district and whoever gives out the, um, Permits what are what are those buildings. the permits for yeah. buildings and the right. companies and so we have these students who are literally living in food deserts don't have access to wi-fi don't have access to the material conditions like phones tvs uh, laptops and i'm not saying these are all students i'm just saying this is the majority of the students and so when COVID happened there was no choice for the state or the schools to supply the material conditions like the laptops and the iPads and the Wi-Fi for students. And it really got me thinking like, why couldn't we have done this before? Right. Like, why did it take a global pandemic for us to be like, hmm, I guess our elementary, middle school and high school students should have access to technological resources in 2021, regardless of how much money their parents make. Mm, yeah. It's just like, it's another example of how our school system fails students every single day, simply because we fail to recognize that every student is important, every student is significant, regardless of how much money their family makes, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their sexual identity, regardless Mm -hmm. of any of that. You have to treat every student that walks into your door and walks into your school as a human being and that is simply it. And you treat them with love, you treat them with empathy, and you treat them with respect. And I promise you, it will benefit them greatly. Oh my goodness. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because even even growing up like in Kissimmee and going to Osceola High School. Um, Which that... by the way, Kirsten, I don't know if you know, Osceola High School was a Title I school. Yes. Yes, I did. I did know that. It was, yeah. And it, there was so much there's so much to unpack about high school in general yeah right (laughs) but just just seeing like as a child you can tell who you know who really does care and and who doesn't and Mm -hmm. a lot of the and I and I think that's like a whole nother part of education is like like teachers uh, like perpetuating harm and hurting the students and playing into god just like they like them wanting to be in high school again type thing and mm-hmm. and that really sucks <laughs> like that that's really terrible i think a lot of that has to do i mean obviously i'm very like pro teacher but i right. i don't i completely understand what you're saying and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact and not to be intersectional or anything but <laughs> teachers don't have great uh, pay. It's not right. a respectable or even a livable wage for teachers. If you look at statistically how many students in college were education majors like 30, 40 years ago versus how many are now, it's actually terrifying. Ron mm. DeSantis, a couple, I think like before the pandemic hit, he actually raised the teacher salary from like 35 grand a year to 47. And everybody was like, Yes, thank you, DeSantis. You're amazing. And me in the back of my head, looking at it critically, I'm like, he had no choice to do that. Right. Because there is a literal teaching teacher crisis. There are not right. enough teachers to fill our schools. And so school boards and schools were being forced to just hire any random person with a bachelor's degree with mm-hmm. no background in education to be in the classrooms and teach the students. And I'm not saying that not everybody can teach something of course every human being has something that they can offer and teach to somebody but when you are responsible for the emotional intellectual and physical like behavior of a human being you need to be educated on it you need to be certified you need to take a bunch of exams like there's a lot that goes beyond just knowing the content you need to know how to teach it and how to Mm -hmm. teach it to children and so There's just so much that goes into like this education system and this industry. I mean, you talking about schools being privatized, that's just, it makes me want to throw up because why would we ever do that to something as integral as education in a society? Like, why would we put money to it? But we do, we do because it profits 
capitalism. It profits white supremacists that are in the 1% that know that it gives them money. Yep. And to them, to them, they're not seeing students the way you and me see students. They're seeing students as dollar bills. Dollar they're seeing their yep. parents as dollar bills. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Uh, yes. No, no, I 100%, 100% agree. And what's interesting, too, is like at Florida State, I, I knew some people that were in the education major, and they said it was so hard. It, mm-hmm. it, it was so hard for them to get into the the major that they had to they ended up having to do like a like a back doorway, which when you're talking about, you know, a a decrease in in educators graduating to become teachers, like where why would they why would they make that so difficult? But mm-hmm. yeah, like literally Austin the other day, his mom was talking about how, oh, like, cause he's we're all having a hard time finding <laughs> jobs right now in the middle right. of this <laughs> shit that, like this this, you know, mess. Pandemic is just horrible. Right. And pandemic so, and post grad. What are you gonna do? <laughs> right. Like what a great time to graduate. But he he's 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 like marketing and business or whatever, and he's having a really hard time finding a, a job like in that field before he mm-hmm. applies to law school. And his mom, like, you know, his mom is like a teacher. And she, she was like, oh yeah, like apply for this teaching position. And I got so mad at him. (laughs) Yes. I was like, like, I understand, like, I understand where you're coming from and I understand where your mom's coming from. But I was like, do you understand like a, like you're now taking away jobs from, from post-grads who, thank you who have the who went and did the work and then b i was like babe like do you understand like the responsibility (laughs) of like handling a child let alone like 20 of them like i i was like um and like curriculum and just all of those things and so i'm hoping that like but what is sucking is like he cannot find anything else right it's like this is the position that people are in right now Mm -hmm. and then because we don't value teachers and education this is what is happening to the profession. And it is terrifying, terrifying because the person, the the people in society, the feel the blunt and brute force of what is happening is our children. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. when you think about them as humans and when you think about them as growing up and being responsible for taking over this society, it's terrifying because you think about all of these I mean, we're at a point of convergence, I feel like, where we're having the literal planet die on us because we're killing it. We're having all of these social movements. I mean, we're seeing a whole people, Palestinians being removed from their country and there's genocides happening. And we're seeing all of these crazy things going on. And we're not doing much about it. Hopefully our future generations will do a lot more, but they will mm-hmm. only do more if we instill those values onto them. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it is a lot of responsibility as a teacher to not only protect, nurture their intellectual and uh, their intellectual expertise, their knowledge, their critical thinking, but also their emotional side of them. I mean, they are human beings. We need to treat them that way. And we have to come from this this uh, value that no child chooses to fail. Every child is capable of success. And that, it, I, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely beyond me how we look and center children in our society. Oh, we, my God. We yeah. don't, we, we write off the silly things that they say when they uh, bring up things like racism or they bring up things like um sexual orientation we're like no 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 you're too young to know about that i'm like no if he's curious if if they're curious about something why not have a productive conversation about it of course you want to have a conversation that's appropriate and responsible and respectful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if they're young enough to start asking questions then they're young enough to demand answers you know what i mean right exactly it's like that i saw this like tweet the other day it was like if you guys uh parents freak out when their kid is like you know curious about um being attracted you know to the same gender or whatever mm-hmm. and but at this in the same breath are like uh telling their like other kid oh like you have a crush on so and so like how many girlfriends do you have so it's like you're putting that on your one child 
and then in the same breath you're saying that your other kid is too young to know their sexual orientation right when they're literally like telling you like hey like I'm attracted to to both genders and then like kids don't even know about non-binary like oh I literally I struggle with my I I work with a lot of preschoolers and Mm -hmm. it's it's so crazy just living in the world that I live in and then and then being in their world and how they still like the the gender like the the binary is so big for them still like boys not playing with quote-unquote girl toys like literally they make everything a gender like the color pink I'm like it's a color it has nothing to do with it like me explaining that to them and then making sure that I don't then gender things like when we're doing um activities or like they'll be like oh is this a boy or girl and I'm like it's a they (laughs) it's a it's a person person." and they're like what and I'm like yeah like so just like you know little things like that like because it's crazy to me that this generation of like little ones still aren't being you know like probably like our generation of kids what they might know and understand as right. being that young um they're they're yeah <laughs> they're being they're being socialized already exactly to the all of these internalized things as a society that we uphold mm-hmm. and i mean at, you are a reflection of the society that you live in because yeah. you uphold and you protect it. And so you can sit here and say like, oh, I don't, I don't do racist things or I don't do homophobic things. It's like, well, you may not directly, but you may be doing something that is harmful to a black person. You may be doing something that is harmful to a queer person. You may not even be recognizing it because we've never been able to have these conversations. Right. And you're right. You are right. The way we speak to children, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And I feel like it would be negligent to just let anybody do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, trust. I I was upset. And I'm still (laughs) upset because I was like, bro, (laughs) like, come on. Like, I know I, ugh. Yeah. yeah no 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 because even just being like no because like running a group or like being in a therapy office like with the education that I have if I didn't have this I would I would be fucking up I, I would be and I still every day I worry that like I'm gonna hurt a child because of my ignorance or something like that's just like so I continue to read and educate and make sure that I'm on top of my game so that mm-hmm. you know and you you bring up such a wonderful point like at least in the work of social social work and social movements which i think education plays a part in that part um you have to continuously unpack continuously educate continuously Mm -hmm. research and learn because we we're like in the now with our industries Mm -hmm. and we need to stay in that now and it's always evolving there's always new things new research new studies new types of thinkings that we need to know about um and not everybody is willing to put in that work nope not at all not at all all. and it's scary it's really scary like meeting just people that interact with children and the type of things they do and say and you're just like god but then again like we're talking about like intersectionality it's like well why do they do that like what is right like, you know and it, it's exhausting to be honest. <laughs> very exhausting <laughs> social work is exhausting yeah yeah oh my goodness yeah, yeah. But- i mean i know you talk a lot about like social workers having burnout that's a huge issue with teachers too mm-hmm. oh my god Oh, yeah. Yeah. Social work and like teaching, like being a therapy and and, and education, like just the more that I read about it is very similar. Like it's different. But in a lot of ways, we like we experience because I mean, like it's a like is teaching still woman dominated profession? It is. It is. And that's something that we uh, as a society, I mean, uh, from the beginning of time, like teaching was deemed a woman's responsibility because it's thought of more of like a, a nurturing job. Right. Right. And then I feel like that goes into you know why the pay is the way it is why it's not valued um same with same with social work so these are things that we have to fight (laughs) every day getting up just to do our job but then also like put all that aside like when we have the kids in front of us like that's why I'm such an advocate for like people trying to go to a therapist or something because being a human is hard it's so hard and this world is so fucked up and I, I just applaud people that are 
are just doing it because oh my goodness uh, I think something that we can take away from this, well, I heard this in a, oh God, I can't remember the name of the podcast, but it is an education podcast. And the host said something really, really significant to me. He said, and how are the children? Right. right? We have to always, always make sure that is the center of our focus and conversation when we talk about education. How are the children? Because they are our number one priority. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about banning critical race theory, we need to think about that on, well, how are the children, right? How right. can that benefit them? And what are the implications of banning critical race theory on the children? Right. Exactly. E- exactly. And that, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because in as a therapist, like there's different frameworks that you can you can, you know, do therapy from. And there's like a liberation framework. There's more like, you know, quote unquote radical, which is not radical to me. It just makes logical sense. Like, Same. you know, like, um, just all, all of these things. And these four little bullet points that I'm looking at is just a huge part of like a, a therapist's um, responsibility as well. And like not brushing over these things if they come up in sessions and mm-hmm. really validating and diving into these things with your clients and I, everybody I feel like has a responsibility for this. It's, it, it's not just educators, everybody. <laughs> these are Any member of society has right. a responsibility. Right. And there's, yes. there's whole frameworks too on like making sure therapy is like child centered, like just, just so you know, a lot of the time, which this happened, I mean, this been, has been happening for years, but what will happen is therapists will align more with parents and forget that like if the child is coming to them that the child is the client and what will happen was if like if a child a lot of the times that parents bring children to therapy is because something that the parents did really like Mm -hmm. something they fucked up or something's happening and then the child is like acting out appropriately and they bring the child to sessions and then it's like that just doing that blames the child that like it's the child's fault but then what will happen what is is like a kid will like do something like at home like he'll run away or they will um hit somebody whatever they do and Mm -hmm. the the therapist will then like the parent will reprimand the kid and then bring that up to the therapist and then the therapist will then reprimand the kid like oh my god yeah like I've seen it happen and trying to like especially when you're like an intern or like a co-therapist in that situation trying to like remain a united front but then just being like fuck it like hey like what the fuck are you doing type thing um that's not child-centered so I feel like even in the therapy realm like therapists that are listening we have an obligation to be child-centered and advocates for the child not not the parents how they want their child to behave and act like that that's not that's not a fair that's not a fair fight for the kid and and so and people that I've talked to that are grown now they said yeah that's why I don't believe in therapy because that's what happened to me when I was a kid and I'm like oh my god like yeah a a lot of people have such negative perspectives of therapy and it is because of simply of what you're talking about it's having your voice taken away from Mm -hmm. you yeah yeah or yeah and it's it's honestly it's honestly just wild and every like I've been in those situations and I'm just kind of looking at the kid like don't speak like like give them attitude like like raise hell because I'm like that's fucked up like yeah sitting there like if somebody were to do that to me I would literally like I don't even know I was like a bad kid a lot of anger issues so I'm like I it wouldn't have been great (laughs) like I would have raised hell But you do speak about uh, an interesting, uh, you touch on an interesting topic there of teaching children how to advocate for themselves. Yep. That's a huge, huge thing, especially when we're talking about all of these intersectional things that happen Mm -hmm. in society. Um, I've kind of shared that experience with service learning, but I haven't really seen it much with... um, Black students, more so uh, English language speaking students, um, English language mm-hmm. learners, I should say. Mm-hmm. We have a real issue with that in the state of Florida, and we try to make it sound nice and pretty that we're doing the best for our Spanish speaking students. But when you're inside the classrooms and you're sitting there with that student and the teacher is completely ignoring that student because simply they haven't been educated on how to work with that child, right? it's so 
heartbreaking, Kirsten, Mm -hmm. that somebody's access to education was, there was a barrier to that because of the language that they speak. Yeah. Like it is not the child's responsibility to push through that barrier. It is the teachers. It is the schools. It is the politicians that decide on how we teach these students. And so like, that's, again, I could talk about education forever (laughs) and I could advocate for children forever, but what we hear I guess what I'm trying to say is what we hear and what we think about what goes on in education and what's happening actually in these classrooms Mm -hmm. is two very, very different stories. Right. Right. Yeah. Unless you're, yeah. Unless you're in it, unless you're, you're, you're doing it Yeah. And I think that's why podcasts like these or just using social media in a way that can like, you can be like, Hey, like I actually am a teacher and this is what is actually going on. And can you not listen to those like, republican like news like right like thank you you just like this isn't like a political thing like it's literally just these are the facts and we need to fix this before things blow up but you made a really good point too like i i'm like a big believer in that um america likes to keep us like brainwashed and whatever so when you look at like europe people grow up speaking multiple languages so that they can all communicate with each other like over there and that is not a thing that is valued over here like if you are a if you grew up in a household in non um uh, spanish speakers like we should all be (laughs) fluent in spanish like there's right or at least making an effort to learn how to communicate right I have a theory on this. I don't know if you want to hear it, but <laughs> you can tell me. <laughs> okay, so America, right? Very uh, colonial, colonizer right. type country in history. We're also like very isolated from the rest of the world, just because mm-hmm. we have the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. Like we're sandwiched in between the two. Right. So we've always had the privilege of like having the resources, like ships and. Uh, transportation and going to other places Mm -hmm. and colonizing them we really haven't had anybody do that to us so we don't even we're so privileged and entitled (laughs) in the fact that we're sandwiched between two major oceans that we don't even consider having to learn how to communicate with the rest of the world and I genuinely think that's how we treat the rest of the world like we're just an isolated superpower over here that we can just do whatever the hell we want Mm -hmm. and not care regard anybody else their culture or their language that's Mm -hmm. my theory no yeah that literally makes sense exactly and that and I feel like that's such a lesson too that people can take into their personal lives if you are surrounding yourself by people who are like yes people and not people that challenge you and are like hey mm, no what you said there was a little fucked up like let's unpack that or you're not challenging yourself and and just educating and and reading and and trying to just learn something different from the world that you live in like that's how things get dangerous and that's how you know, the whole white supremacy stuff, like, breeds because you think you are entitled to some, to, I don't know, I don't know who told you you were that special, but, right? like, you're not, <laughs> you're, you're not, calm down, and just humanize yourself, and get back to a point where you're like, eh, like, I'm here on this planet with a lot of other humans, there's a lot of shit going on, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't disassociate, and, and just be in my bubble, because, no. Be, yeah no no we, we we are a species at the end of the day um <laughs> we're not individual consciousness just like floating around no like we right. are all tied together um and we need to look out for each other just the way the ants look out for each other just the, way the <laughs> birds look out for each other like right we're, we're not just individuals by ourselves alone and I think I mean that's a whole other thing obviously <laughs> but we just need to write humanize ourselves again center the children make sure that we're doing the work unpacking everything right and everything um because why not like why not try to be a better human I know like we're only on this planet for so long so it's like why yeah why not why not exactly and I will literally preach like everything you just said everything I just said in like every episode till the end of time until everybody gets it (laughs) because 
it's like, oh, it's exhausting having to fight every morning when you wake up and and be just like drowning in thoughts of of uh, all of this stuff before you go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank God that we have wonderful, wonderful predecessors in advocacy mm-hmm. that created things like critical race theory that give us a way to examine these things, mm-hmm. examining racism and and knowing how to move on from just being like racism is an individual act. Like that's literally what we teach students. Right. Like, it's not racism is a social construct that's found in systems it's compounded um and i'm just very thankful that we've had so many people do the work that you and i can take from that and continue that and even uh, create maybe new work you know what i mean right exactly exactly it's all out there people people have been talking about you know what i mean people have been like what you're saying, doing the work and now it's here for us. And because, you know, we have the privilege of being able to read and like be in college, I feel like that's our job. Yeah, that's our I job. I agree. It's our responsibility. Yeah. If we're afforded the material conditions to be able to do things like this, then we mm-hmm. should absolutely be doing things like this. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. I think that's such a great note <laughs> to, end, to end the episode on. But thank you so much Maya for coming on and talking about this of course you're welcome I feel so honored this is amazing I feel like I was just chit-chatting with my girlfriend about things that make me feel passionate I know that's why I love it so much and it's so nice because there's no like camera or anything Mm -hmm. so you're just on it's just like a phone call and then it just goes out for other people to listen and learn from but yes yes you are welcome back anytime any any topic anything just dm me and we can hop on and and do an episode but thank you so much oh you're 